The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks, covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, get a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. We're a week closer, Cowboys fans, to Cowboys football. And yeah, we know there's no preseason, but we've got some fun stuff planned in the coming weeks to hopefully bridge the gap for you. So stay tuned for that. But for now, welcome in to the About Them Cowboys podcast. I'm Kent Garrison of The Athletic, welcoming in two of the best in the game to walk you through this hour of Cowboys talk. And are you uh, liking the NBA out there? You liking the MLB? Like what the NHL's got going on? Well, guess what? We're covering it all over at The Athletic. So get over there, get 40% off of your new subscription at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. Yes, that's right. 40% off. Get all of John Mishota's work. Get all of Bob Sturm's Cowboys coverage as well, all season long. Get that uh, that Groob story that Levi Weaver did. Maybe you want to check that out. Saad Yusuf's got some stuff going as well. And of course, Tim Cato is holding it down for the Dallas Mavericks. It's all over there at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. 40% off. Do it now. So now, let's welcome in our panel. The uh, Detroit Pistons are not in the bubble right now. So say hello to the newest Orlando Magic fan. He's Father John Mishota. Hey, John. How dare you? No magic. How dare you? I will tell you, I am a, I am a Luka Doncic fan, and watching him last night, good lord, oh, man! Right? I just, I just hope the Mavericks they put enough talent around him that you know he can make a real run for a championship before he leaves and goes to another team. No, I'm just joking. I think he'll, I think he'll stay in Dallas. But uh, man, he's just scratching the surface right now. And that game last night, that's one of the best I've seen him play. And obviously, still young in his career, but. That's been entertaining, man. I don't know what, you know, I can't guarantee you everything's going to go smoothly with the NFL season, but I'm glad the NBA went the bubble route because even though there aren't fans in the stands, it's been it's been fun to watch some sports. We're covering it all over at our Dallas Mavericks podcast on The Athletic as well. 77 Minutes in Heaven with Tim Cato and Dave Dufour. We've got Mark Folliwell, Brian Damaris doing weekly content episodes over there as well. So they got that thing covered. So check that out. Good times, good stuff. His team is in the bubble. Yes. Meet Dallas's most vocal Memphis Grizzlies supporter. It's Kevin KT Turner. Go Grizzlies. That's right, hey, man. John ja, ja Morant, the, the grindhouse. Love Memphis. I'm you, kidding. No, I don't. It's not just now. It's been a while. You've been you've been Vancouver Grizzlies and now you're Memphis Grizzlies. You kind of now, I with you, you know, I, I don't uh know if I'm one hundred percent accurate on this, but I think I'm really close. But after their three wins in a row at home against the Angels, I believe the Texas Rangers are currently second place in the AL West and would qualify as a playoff team in the American League. So, <laughs> wow, wow! Uh, a week ago, everyone said that DFW sports sucked, and now look at us: <laughs> Mavericks beat the Bucks, gonna rest and get ready for the real playoffs. Where the saw the Stars Cameron- beat the uh, St. Louis Blues too. Stars beat we'll the Blues today. Heading which... into the playoffs. So we got, yeah, it's heating up. Yeah, things the are Cowboys going well. Too. Remember the Cowboys? 
I do remember the Cowboys, and that is why we titled this thing about them, Cowboys. Because that's what it's mostly about. Um, John, I, I would assume it's so weird. After years of covering this team, and then we have this COVID outbreak, and I like have to find out, like, I, I feel like I, I wasn't hearing it live, the Mike McCarthy press conference. At least I wasn't listening live at the time it happened. And then very little media access. Uh, how's it been for you the first week of training camp with uh, really very little access? Oh, not great. No, not 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 great at all. And this certainly, uh, this lovely apartment of mine is not Oxnard, California. So that part hasn't been great either. But uh, we've been getting some access, you know. Got to talk to Amari Cooper recently and Leighton Vander Esch. And then on Friday, Mike McCarthy. And so got to... Little update on how things are going, but uh, not a lot of, of new to report because really all they did last week was basically just conditioning stuff. So this week they ramp it up and they're going to be doing workouts in shells. So, you know, more football type uh, activities. And then the following week is when it could get a little bit more exciting. And that's when the pads come on and we're supposed to be able to get some access then. But um, yeah, until then, and even after they start practicing, we might get to see practice, but uh sounds like these Zoom calls and conference calls are going to be how we're going to be covering the team, at least for this upcoming season. So that'll be interesting. I drove by the facility the other day and, uh, you know, it, they've got these tents out there, which is kind of interesting because I've never seen this before. So I don't know exactly what they're there for. I don't know. I mean, they're completely enclosed. Uh, so I don't know if they're doing their testing there, uh, their COVID yeah. testing, or if that's, a, uh, you know, cooling down area or something like that, because... The one thing that Mike McCarthy has stressed is that he wants his guys on the grass as much as possible. And while that's easy to do in Oxnard, California, when it's 70 degrees, it's tough to do in Dallas, Texas, when it's 105 degrees. And so I would think that they're going to aim for early in the mornings and try and get him in there. Um, and then the other thing is like, because he wants them to be on the grass. And it, a lot of that helps with, you know, injuries and things like that. It, you know, believe that it's a little bit safer. So that'll eliminate going into the Ford center. So they'll still do that, but I, with him preferring them to be on the grass, it's going to be interesting to see how they get all that worked in and, and what these, I'm just saying, I'm interested to see how he runs a practice compared to Jason Garrett. And so we don't know how any of that stuff goes yet. I'm really interested to see how much he wants them on the grass after two weeks of being outside in the oppressive heat, because say what you want, uh, you know, about being outside and that idea, it's, this is way different than green Bay and it got hot in green Bay sometimes, but way different in Green Bay, when they did camp right across the street from the stadium in August, it was 85, maybe, maybe, maybe 88. Maybe it gets up there every once in a while, but it wasn't 100 and heat index of 107, 108, which is what we're dealing with and will deal with, you know, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I don't want to go too deep into the COVID thing. I don't, I don't want to do that this week, but I do want to mention this because I think like we're going to get some college football news probably in the next week. But I will say this, I, don't, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. Baseball, aside from the Marlins outbreak, and the Cardinals kind of had an outbreak, but that's scaled back. I, I know you have more people in football and a bigger traveling party and way more at-risk sport to play, but we have seen now through one quarter of the MLB season really only one major outbreak. And I would say really maybe if you wanted to say two. If I was the NFL, I wonder if it's too late, where maybe I want to dangle a second bye week to a team, to the teams, but like it's later in the year, and it's almost using like alternate week to make up a game, in case one of your opponents gets a 
gets a COVID outbreak because, I mean, all options obviously are going to be on the table. Uh, I I still kind of feel like the season might get pushed back a little bit. But, you know, until – I mean, if they're in camp, we've been seeing reports like Cowboys, no positive test. Like they've been doing a great job for a week of going in the facility, going home, going back to the facility. Like they've been doing well, so – I kind of have a little bit of a positive uh, vibe about it so far. Uh, do you guys? Or am I crazy? No. And the other thing that helps them as opposed to Major League Baseball is that if you're only playing one game a week, you know, it's easier to kind of spread things out because what you're running into with, with when you mentioned the Cardinal situation is, you know, another series postponed. You're getting to 11, 12, 13, 14 games you got to make up. Well, when are you going to make those up when they already shorten the season to 60 games? Like it gets to a point now where it's like, so aren't the Cardinals just going to have to forfeit their season? There just isn't time to make up those games. Whereas with the NFL, I think that there could potentially be time to make up some of these games if, you know, there's a team that has an outbreak and then they basically shut down that team for a couple of weeks. Maybe they're only missing out on two games and they can make it up later in the year. Um, or maybe it gets to a point where there's multiple outbreaks and what they do is they just shorten the season from 16 games to 12 or 10 or something like that. What I do find interesting that came out today, Sunday, as we record this, is a report out of uh, Cleveland. So Cleveland pitcher Zach Plezak, he was sent home by the Indians um, because he went out with friends in Chicago Saturday night, uh, and that's a violation of team rules. Obviously, they don't want guys going out to bars and things like that. So he was sent home uh, because it, it basically violates you know the league's health and safety protocols. So our team's going to be willing to you know enforce rules like that where they're like suspending guys and things like that if they're violating the rules. I mean. We'll see. I, I mean, they're going to have a, the ability to do that, but I just saw that one today, and I wonder how much of a factor that's in there because, uh, you know, these guys are going to have to police themselves, like players policing other players, like, hey, man, like, we can't be doing this. We If we're going to get this season and you can't be going out, we just can't do that right now. We have to, you know, be locked in and focused. And so I, I think that'll that'll have a big effect on, on where things go uh, from here out. But, uh, yeah, the multiple bye weeks things, yeah, that's, that's a, I mean, any of that stuff's on the table. I, I, I I think there'll be an NFL season. I just don't think that people should look at it as your typical schedule where you look at it and you're like, oh, the Cowboys play, you know, this team week three and this team yeah. week seven. Like it might be broken up, spread out. Maybe the schedule gets shortened just so they can get a season in. But yeah, multiple bye weeks is an interesting option. Well, and also I think like the most responsible teams will uh, have a better chance at being successful and teams that have the ability to get that message across and have fewer uh, people – I guess uh, fewer players or members of the staff who are uh, you know stepping out of line, you know, you so, give yourself a good chance. It may not be the best six teams in the NFC and six teams in the AFC. Maybe the most responsible teams and uh, and the Chiefs. So Mike McCarthy was was asked in the conference call about the idea of quarantining a quarterback so that you always have someone. Yeah. And then also the going through the plans of, and I'm just inclu- I'm putting these both together because his answers were similar for both. And then the, what is the plan for if coach gets it? Like then who, like who's next in charge of, you know, if it's an offensive coordinator who then takes over play calling, you know, things like that. And he didn't get any specifics, but he said that all of this has been discussed. So, and they've had a lot of time to go over this obviously because they haven't, uh, you know, been really having practices and things like that, like they normally would right now. So, He's saying that everything has been discussed and you can just take him at his word, but it will be interesting as we get into this season, if certain things happen, 
like I would think that teams have gone through multiple protocols and, and possible scenarios of what could potentially happen because they've seen other leagues and then also just because they've had this time to go over these decisions. So, decisions. so you'd think that they would have a plan in place for those. He wouldn't give specifics, but he said it, they've been discussed. Quarantining a quarterback? Yeah, well, like so a backup quarterback. Like keep keeping away somebody from the away from the team? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the Cowboys what, are in a good what happens position to in, do that. Does he still come to the games? Uh, you know, because Dak gets hurt in the middle of the game, and you've got to go to this emergency quarterback. Is he like in a emergency break if if needed? A glass case, and you just break him out of a bubble in the middle of whenever you need him. I, how are you going to have chemistry with with your team? What I'm getting at is how how you know quarterback seems to be the most important. Where you got to be there around the guys every day, getting these reps, getting this. Uh, chemistry with these guys you know if he's gone on doing it on zoom how is that gonna help and every and every and everything you're saying makes complete sense and i'm not a coach and really i'm an idiot so this doesn't matter but i'm just gonna give you my opinion on it i'm i'd rather roll with it with a seasoned vet like andy dalton not taking any snaps than to roll with well we don't have dak or andy because they both got covid so here we go ben DiNucci. that's just how i feel about it like if i didn't if i didn't have andy dalton behind me then it might be a little bit different because you're just like hey what's the difference between ben DiNucci or uh you know i don't know cooper rush or somebody else that you get off the streets i get that but if i have like an andy so you put so you're saying put dalton in the in the bubble in his own bubble keep DiNucci and dak as your practice i mean your yeah your your practice squad and your your first team quarterback for practice. Yeah. Cause like, here, here's the other thing. Like, I don't know if this gets stressed enough, but like when you're the backup quarterback, you don't really get that yeah. many reps with, with the ones anyway. And so again, if they didn't have Andy Dalton, I wouldn't necessarily be saying this. And this is just my opinion. I haven't heard this from anybody in the organization. I'm not saying that they're thinking about doing this. It's just me. And that just, I, I would, I would entertain the idea. Well, other teams are talking about this. Uh, Matt LaFleur and Green Bay talked about that. And he was like, obviously, we're not going to do that with Jordan Love, but, you know, we could carry three quarterbacks and maybe, uh, I think Tim Boyle's the other quarterback. I'm not sure the other quarterback is for, in Green Bay. But the idea would be to quarantine him. You know, to me, I'm kind of con- considering quarantining the practice squad at some point. <laughs> you know, I mean, can we just have a separate. Kind Especially of like since you can have veterans on baseball? there now. Yeah, I'm. I'm very, very interested to see how the Cowboys use the veteran practice squad this year and how they manage personnel with all this going on. It's going to be very interesting. And you talk about Andy Dalton. I mean, I, I do think that they they signed Dalton with the intention that we're going to need this guy at some point. You know, not that oh he's just going to sit sit behind Dak for three years. Dak's indestructible. I think they of all because normally, I mean they'd be developing somebody, you know, right behind Dak, if that was the case. Um, somebody they think can play in three years as their starter or whatever. Um, I really do think that they, they think they're going to need Dalton at some point. Well, you know, whether Dak gets gets coronavirus or just has to be quarantined for a few days and they need him for practice uh, to prepare for an opponent or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dak contract situation that was looming for a while. They, they needed him around then. I, I just think this year of all years, they needed somebody – who's been there before behind Dak and um, you know, who knows we could be, you could be right. And they, they could need, you know, maybe not just the Cowboys, but another NFL team might have to, uh, to go to that backup at some point, because who knows what could happen if a quarterback gets, uh, gets the virus because of the amount of contact. So, yeah. Yeah. And I look, it's going to be a bigger story, obviously, if an NFL team dealt with an outbreak than, than it would be in baseball. Uh, it would be a bigger deal and there'd probably be more panic. But I, I look at 
there was a little panic after that happened to the Marlins, and I was just kind of thinking about it earlier, though, like, the Cardinals do have an outbreak that's that's a big story right now with 10 players having it, but the other 90-plus percent of the league getting through it just fine through a quarter of the season. But it's early, and, and we'll see what happens. Now, you got a little bit of media access with uh, Leighton Vanderish this week, John. Um, obviously a big question mark after uh, his neck injury, his history uh, of neck injury through uh, stenosis, which is a uh, – I don't know if it's a birth defect, but it's a birth condition that he had, just a, a smaller and narrowing spine. Um, what were your takeaways from uh, your time with uh, Leighton Vanderesh in the uh, in the media access? So, number one, he doesn't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, he made that very clear that he well, did I'm not Well, I'm sorry, want- Leighton. I'm sorry, yeah. Leighton. That's what <laughs> happened last year. If you were the MVP of the league, maybe we wouldn't be talking about it. But you got hurt. We got to talk about those things, buddy. That's what he said coming out of school, too. And yeah. And we had and to so, talk about it again, you know. And that's why he didn't want to probably talk about it this time um, because of that, because he's already answered so many questions about it. But, yeah, he was specifically asked about if he had talked to Michael Irvin about it because he's had a similar uh, injury and neck procedure. And he was like, no, I honestly I haven't because I really have just put this thing behind me. Like, I'm better than uh, ever. I'm stronger. Uh, I've been going hard practicing for the last three, four months. It hasn't been an issue for me. He said he was going to be wearing like a little bit smaller of a neck roll underneath his pads, but nothing like significant. And he just doesn't even want to think about it. He just wants to get back to playing football. Cause he was asked, you know, two or three questions about it, but yeah, I agree with you, KT. Like there's no way around it. I mean, you went from being, you know, a defensive rookie of the year candidate and, you know, a really solid player on this defensive rookie year. And then, you know, there's no question not having him last year was, it was a major impact on, why this defense wasn't what it was the year before. And so, yeah, it's a big part of it. But the other thing he mentioned, which is interesting, is that he confirmed that he's making the move to middle linebacker from weak side, and then Jalen's going from middle to weak. Now, with that said, both those positions are are, are run fair, fairly similarly. I mean, if you can do one, you can pretty much do the other. We've seen Sean Lee do it over the years as well. So you got to kind of be interchangeable there. It's just interesting that they're making that move because for me – Personally, when I watch them play, I think that Leighton is the better one in space in terms of defending on pass plays and things like that. And Jalen's better downhill getting after the quarterback. So maybe they're making this move to get them in better position uh, and get more favorable matchups so they can do what they do best. But I I just think Leighton's at his best when he's swarming. Jalen's at his best when he's moving downhill. No, I agree 100%. And I think it's very, very obvious I think the thing that we have, and that's kind of like, you know, talking to Leighton Renderash is, is very interesting because we're past the honeymoon phase of asking him about a wolf that he might have shot or asking him about his family, <laughs> his, the family bus take, going to all the games. Like, we're not at, we don't care about that stuff anymore. We're moved on here. But, like, new defensive coordinator coming in, uh, a little bit of a new defense. Yeah, I think when he says he's middle linebacker, I, I think calling someone a middle linebacker on this team is – probably like it's just something that you have to do from a position sake just to classify him because I do think we'll see many snaps this year with Jalen at middle linebacker because like it even, just does, I remember it doesn't when make we, sense for him to be outside yeah I just it kind of reminds me a little bit of like when they were in the three four when I first started covering the team like they had you know you have your two inside linebackers and that was Bruce Carter and Sean Lee you know and so they had to be kind of interchangeable and then they moved to the four three and that moved things around but I I think that there'll be I don't think that all of a sudden you're going to notice just like one of those guys just playing completely different than you saw him play two years ago. I'm not going to compare it to last year because two years ago is when they they played really well. I mean, that, that they were the key to one of the keys to why the defense played well that year. So I don't know that it's going to be anything major, but 
it's interesting that they're that they're making this move and they're doing it in an off season where they really don't have much of an off season to actually work on the field. I mean, it's one reason that I'm I'm pretty optimistic about the defense taking a little step forward is I actually do think Jalen will have a better year, and I do think Leighton Vander Esch, if healthy, like I feel like you're getting. Uh, we saw regression last year, and it's kind of banking on them taking a little step forward next year. Um, and it's important that it happens. But, you know, you look at what they've done on the defensive line. Obviously, you know, losing Robert Quinn will hurt, and we can talk about Randy Gregory in a second. But, like, if, if Poe and McCoy are healthy and what they are, I mean, it's, it should be a better – get Tyrone Crawford healthy. It should be a, a better defensive unit, especially when – teams are going to have more questions about what you're doing. So, I mean, I, I feel feel pretty good about that. I think I think Vander is one of the most important people. Well, well, let's stay on the token. Let's do Randy Gregory real quick and talk about that. He had a big Instagram post that came out. I actually have it in front of me, guys. If you'd like, me, like for me to read it, uh, I'll, I'll read Please it. Please do. Dramatic reading if you can, KT. Okay. What voice would you like for me to do this in? Um, Morgan Freeman. Okay. All right. Here we go. Or Christopher Walken, uh, whichever one. Uh, Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll do Christopher Walken. Oh, can I do Matthew McConaughey? Okay, yeah, yes, he's yes, better. Yes, yes, yes. Please. Or Dr. Phil. I'll <laughs> Matthew do Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. Okay, right, there we go. Ready. I really miss playing football and being a player in the NFL. All right. <laughs> I'm doing everything that is asked of me, driving a Lincoln, and I'm in great shape physically, mentally, and emotionally. But I'm being held back from furthering my career because of COVID and testing. I do like that marijuana. Okay, he didn't put that. That was a, that was a McConaughey thing. <laughs> McConaughey uh, he added been, that in himself. Yeah, he said. Did he say the thing about the Lincoln, dude? If you close uh, your <laughs> eyes, there, that that was Matt. That I, was I good. Sworn that was him. But the thing about the Lincoln actually was in there, which I thought was weird that Randy put that in his post. No, just kidding. Um, he says, uh, I've been ready to play and test for months, but still have gotten little to no help to resolve my reinstatement. I'm asking more questions than I'm getting answered. It's amazing that the powers that be can keep passing the buck and also use this pandemic as a way to prevent me from joining my team. Telling me just to sit and wait in limbo over things I can't control, all the while doing everything right off the field is unfair and flat out wrong. Uh, again, I, I, I don't know. Um, like I am in the boat of, of people who do, do, uh, think Randy should be reinstated, but I also am very understanding that, you know, on the list of things that Roger Goodell's got to do, Randy Gregory, you know, probably should have been taken care of earlier at some point, maybe, or addressed a little earlier on, but I would say on the list of things Goodell has to do and the league has to do, it's just not even close. I mean, they got so much crap to figure out involving the pandemic I think it's it's gonna be really tough to like make Randy Gregory a, a you know a front burner issue. That's I just, just me. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, KT. Um, and we talked about that you know before we started recording the show. I no, I'm on I'm on the same side with you. I mean, this guy has missed more games than he's played in, and so the CBA has changed, and so you'd think that now that. Uh, the marijuana that isn't the same testing that there was before that, you know, this opens things up. Randy Gregory's back and, and he can finally be the player that the Cowboys saw they were getting in 2015. It's like, but like I've always said in previous podcasts in previous years that like, well, if that happens, that's great. But I don't know that you really count on that because like you said, KT, there's just more stuff that Goodell's dealing with right now. Uh, that's more important for the league matters than probably dealing with Randy Gregory. Um, that's not to say that it won't, it couldn't happen quickly. I mean, they had met before, I think it was in March, they did a zoom 
call uh, Randy did with the league. And so maybe that, that comes together. One of my other takeaways from this is just like, I don't remember what year it was that I first heard about Twitter. We'll say mid 2000s, you know, and uh, I remember thinking like, what is this thing? Like, no one's going to care about this. This thing is just, wow, people are 140 characters. No, this this is stupid. Like, no one's going to join us. And like in 2020, it's like one of the most powerful tools. Like literally the president of the United States does like talks to the country through it. And I thought it was interesting that Randy went this route because you've seen in sports where this is kind of work doing stuff like this. You know, when all the players got together and they were talking about how they wanted to hear from the league about, you know, social injustice and and Roger Goodell responded within whatever, 24 hours of them recording that video. Like you have power. And when you have a social media account like that, that you have, you know, thousands of followers and stuff, it's one way to get a message. It might not be the right way. This might make things worse. Maybe Roger Goodell sees this and he's like, I got so much on my plate right now. Like, why don't you calm down? But it also could be it puts pressure on him. Like, hey, he's put this out there. And I mean, you just look at the comments underneath posts like that, that he's putting out. And there's a lot of fans that are like, they, they think that it's the NFL's got something against Randy Gregory. If you're the NFL, you don't want to think that. But let's also remember the way the NFL hands out things, whether it be punishments, whether it be reinstatements, any of that stuff like that. There's no like blueprint to it. It's it's all kind of all over the map. We've learned that many a times with several players that have been suspended uh, from the Cowboys over the years. And so, and other teams, obviously. Um, so it's interesting that he took to social media. That makes me, makes me wonder if there's gonna be more of this going forward, not just from him, but other players. I think it, at this point with Randy, I mean, Randy feels like a guy who's been wronged. And I quite honestly think he's been wronged. I think he should have been reinstated a long time ago. That's me personally. Um, I understand that he has, you know, uh, failed a number of drug tests, but the league has softened their stance on marijuana. They've been very clear about it. But they're going to treat him like the old way. I mean, it's like the league all of a sudden, you know, when this kneeling thing was such an issue, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now players, now we can empower the players. Out of nowhere, the NFL's like, I'm like oh, well, you yeah. Now go sign Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, that was quick. Yeah. Holy cow. Like, and no matter what side, I, I get that you know, sometimes that's a divisive issue, you know, the Kaepernick thing or whatever for some people. But, like, to me – if Randy Gregory has proven that he is a good citizen in the world, I think he has. I mean, if you know, we all know Grant, uh, Randy a little bit. I mean, I would say we're friends with him, but I think Randy's a good dude for the most part, you know? Uh, but I get it. It's going to come down to when Roger has time to reinstate Randy. And I do think, though, that, you know, I, I do think the relationship with the Cowboys, with the commissioner, has not always been 100%. I'm not like conspiracy guy, like where the refs will like stop the Cowboys from winning. I don't believe that crap. But I do think there's been times when handling this specific issue with Randy that Goodell's gotten frustrated with comments from Steven and Jerry about that. I do think I do think that, but I mean they've they've had so many just private plane flights up to Chicago or to go meet with Roger or they could fly to New York to meet with Roger about the Randy thing over the last five years. Honestly, if I was the commissioner, I would be like, yeah, just leave me alone with it. You can play. Like, I would be done with it if I was him. But, you know, I I don't know what information that the commissioner or the league might have against Randy at this point that would be new or any different than what we already know about Randy. And and Ken, you brought up, Ken brought up a good point before we started recording the show about, and it's also a big deal to Cowboys fans because it's, arguably their biggest position to need, you know? So I get, I get why people are interested in this. And then you can add in this too, like 
if they are going to be more multiple and they're going to be more three, four looks, doesn't Randy Gregory kind of fit even better in a three, four? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he could be, you know, Alden Smith type from Alden Smith's early days in San Francisco, you know, like, you know, the thing, the thing that's like frustrating to me though, about this is like, we're still doing it and I don't want the Cowboys are not going expecting to have Randy ever. I don't think the Cowboys, well, maybe they have planned to expect to have Alden Smith or whatever, but I treat this the same way I might've treated from a football standpoint, the same way I might've treated Sean Lee for most of his career. If I'm going into camp planning on having Sean Lee all year long, then I'm doing a bad job of building my football team. And then I go look on the field and I go, well, I don't know who our other defensive end is. I guess we're counting on Tyrone Crawford. I'm fine. Good player. Is his hip healthy? Like, what are we counting on at defensive end? Are we counting on Dorrance Armstrong? Are we, you know, that's that's where it becomes kind of a bit of a question mark. I just wonder, have they built their team well enough to, like, if we're serious about contending, this is where, and who knows how they're interested, this is where the Clownies and Everson Griffins of the world are very interesting to me. we got about $9 million of salary cap room left. You know, I don't know what it would cost to get Griffin or to get Jadavion Connie on there at this point, but, like, if that's a that's a pretty big weak spot on the team right now, right defensive end, let's go. Let's go fill that thing out. Are we serious about keeping up with the 49ers and Chiefs, or are we not? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're trying to win, but like, hey, man, let's go make a move to help out a weak spot on your team. I do think in other years that that would be a much better possibility. But because of COVID-19, because of the Cowboys probably looking at not making the money they would normally make, especially without having fans in the stands, um, if it comes to that, or and even if they do have fans in the stands, it ain't going to be a full stadium. Uh, so financially I could see them looking at that and being like, do we really want to make this investment right now for one year? Cause you know, JW and Clowney ain't signing some long-term deal. He wants to get back out to free agency next year. So it's going to be for a one year deal. And then maybe even in the back of their minds, the Cowboys are thinking like, why would we make this investment right now? when we still don't even know if we're going to have a full season yet. Let's see how the season goes. And you know, if this guy's still out there, whatever, uh, then let's kick the tires on it again. But then the other part of it is like, we don't know what JW and Clowney is asking for, you know, he could be asking for. 18 million dollars a year you know like for a one-year deal like yeah. it could be something astronomical because you really haven't heard about him really with any team so uh but it is intriguing because let's put it this way you know growing up in detroit you don't really expect the lions to make those type of moves so you just kind of you know just throw it to the side and you're like yeah that's not gonna happen but when you cover the dallas cowboys you're just like well never say never about any of these moves it's you know anything's really possible like that um but yeah, it's interesting that both those guys are out there, and that is a huge weakness for them. I, I don't know, unless Alden Smith has turned back the clock to 2015, I don't know where you're getting consistent pass rush on the other side. And that's even with blitzing more. I just, I don't know if you're going to get enough there. You know, if, if I feel like if the Cowboys can be a middle of the pack defense in the NFL, they should be pretty happy about that. And if anything above that, that should be icing on the cake. Well, the idea too, though, is you're going to be scoring enough points to where you know, the defense does not need to be a top five defense in the league, you know, but you need to be opportunistic, get more turnovers and all that stuff that we've talked about a million times. Now, next time we do an episode, we'll be, uh, there've been some like workouts and we'll be kind of getting close to around time when pads are on. Um, and I don't know, uh, Kent, do you follow the work of John Mashota on the athletic? You, uh, I'm not familiar. No. Uh, okay. Mashota? Well, 
I would no. say John Mashota. Oh, yeah, you know what? I always have trouble pronouncing the name. Um, I, it's almost like Machete. Machada. I, fi- I follow Machada. Are you that Machota? John uh, Machada? You said, you said Horchata? Horchata. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, John Machete. Yes, I follow John Machete. Yes, the Machete. Yes, I do. Uh, what about Machete's him? A, he's well, great. he's a beast, and he's uh, cranked yeah. out an, a little content piece for us to kind of uh, spend some time on real quick. I, um, I speaking of of what you were yeah. just saying though before before we move on, KT, I want to tell our listeners a little bit about sponsor of the show Manscaped. Yeah, I'm talking about that kind of manscaping. Got to get your summer bot on, guys. It's not too late. Summer's still here. I was going to the pool the other 4th of July, and before I left the house, the wife was like, hey, no, you're not leaving the house. Luckily, I had Manscaped there to rescue me. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you who need a chest shave. And it includes the old skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. We definitely don't want that. For limited time, our subscribers get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which you're definitely going to want. Took that on my most recent Airbnb getaway. That's a $39 value. And the patented high-performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's not, not, not manscaped.com. Manscaped with a D.com. Use code THEATHLETIC20. And now a word from Indochino. Back to Cowboys talk, KT. The Dallas Cowboys linebacker core was voted the second best linebacker core by ESPN. What do you think that would be accurate? Knowing what we know, you know, with the question marks we have about Leighton and and Jalen and and Sean Lee. When healthy, maybe. If everybody's healthy, I said middle of the line defense. They said. Defensive tackle, they have ranked 14th, cornerback 19th, safety 16th, linebacker 2, edge rusher 18. I think that's all fair. On all those numbers, I think linebacker is the only one that's off. I think the linebacker should be more towards, you know, 10 to 15 area. Because we were talking about a a major, major health questions with both of these guys. Um, and, And, you know, and also a new defense. Which, if anything's changing, and you are going to throw out more three four looks, it's really more different on the on the linebackers than any uh, other position on the field. Yeah, so. I almost would say that I agree with that ranking. If you were talking about like ranking everybody's position groups by if that position group plays is healthy and plays at its absolute best, because I feel like it's two. If you think that like you're getting like twenty fifteen sixteen even 2013 Sean Lee and then you're getting Jalen Smith and Layton from two years ago and then Joe Thomas is playing like that once I mean Joe Thomas has been solid with him but I mean like maybe that one season where he started for Green Bay and and then you get like Luke Gifford plays really well and um huh. you know like helps out in special teams and things like that Luke and maybe Gifford. too but like what are we are we predicting that or hoping for that oh Maybe I think Luke Gifford's linebacker. on the 53 like they like Luke yeah. Gifford a lot yeah, they like Luke. Luke you mean a lot. like playing um, significant snaps, or like special I meant more teams on like special teams. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, he's yeah. not going to see the field if all those guys are healthy. No. Well, it sounds like 
no, differ. No, no, no. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, when you look at linebacker, if you're ra- if you are ranking the whole linebacking core, and it's not just your starters, like you're talking about special teams, and this is a bad special teams unit that's going to need those linebackers to be really good. And and I think Luke Gifford fit, fits into that mix uh, with, like I said, Joe Thomas, Justin March. Like, yeah, okay. If, I mean, but if you're just ranking them as just by their starters, and they put them two because it's Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith. Okay, that's fine. I mean, the NFL Network put out their top 100, and Jalen Smith was top 90. So, I mean, yep. I, I don't know. I'm, my perception is, I guess, a little bit different. I don't know how you put Jalen Smith at 90 or 88, I think he was, and then you don't have Lyle Collins or DeMarcus Lawrence. Lyle Collins and DeMarcus Lawrence are better players than Jalen Smith right now. Yeah, yep. you know, and I'll take that list too seriously. You know, the, the offensive uh, groupings, uh, they had quarterbacks, the guy was seventh, so that's basically saying Dak and Andy Dalton. Best receiver core in the NFL, though, according to this list. I'll take that. Yeah, I think see, that could be pretty see, close. See, now going off of that, though, I, that makes me think even more that they're just going off of, like, your your starters, you know? Yeah. Because those, those three starters certainly are the best. But, like, I feel like if you looked at some other teams, like their depth, one through five or six, because, like, after the, the Cowboys' first three, like, there's pretty significant drop-off there. Yeah, you but their but their first three are dope. I mean, hey, I mean, you put those those first three up against anybody. Absolutely, and I was following some like you know, if this is some daily fantasy sports minutia, I might be throwing out there, but like some DraftKings stuff, and they were talking about like, is there a better stack? Like when you're going when you're making a team, just uh, I'm going to put as many Cowboys wide receivers and Dak in there, and just see how many. And if you can get Zeke in there too, like you just hook up that offense and get all the points. I mean, like there's they need to be. They need to be one of the high-scoring offenses in the league. It's built that way. Um, you have a coach that is thinking that way, which I think that's a bigger thing. I mean, however much you built on offense the last few years, you didn't have a coach who was thinking, let's go put 40 points on the opponent. You had a coach wanting to win 23-16 to 16 most times. So, like, you know, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a fun thing to watch moving forward. Now, I do have this from the late John Machota. Hold on, real quick. Real quick, I just want to say one, sorry, John. one other thing. I'm still here, guys. I'm still alive. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. One other thing I wanted to add to that, though, real quick with the offense is, like, the other key thing is, too, is, like, I mean, they're going to be in a lot of close games. Like, they're a good football team. They're going to be in a lot of close games. So, like, it's also about that offense executing in the fourth quarter. Like, they have to score, like Jason Garrett would say, when it's, when it's nut-cutting time. Like, they have to be able to, and they didn't do that last year. That's one of their biggest downfalls is losing those close games and and not being the team that we saw previous years late in games. So you have all that talent on offense. Like when it's a close game and teams are going back and forth, you know, they have to be able to execute when the game's on the line, two-minute drills, things like that, on top of the they should be putting up 30, 35 points a game. Yeah, man, red zone, you know, that's been a struggle uh, as well. I mean, well, everybody man. loves the Chiefs offense, but like Patrick Mahomes goes out there and wins ball games when it's close. They don't just blow everybody out. Like it's I'm, about winning those tough. Like, you're going to have a handful of those really close games, and a lot of times that's the difference between you making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Absolutely, absolutely. Now you have the 10 position battles to keep an eye on. This is an article that you can go read in full at The Athletic, so make sure you go subscribe to The Athletic. John's top 10, or I don't know if you put a ranking on them, 10 position battles to keep an eye on. Number one, Connor Williams versus Connor McGovern. We're going to have a good old-fashioned Connor off. Here's what I'll say. like uh, The health of Connor McGovern, obviously important for the depth of the offensive line, especially given what we know about Travis Frederick retiring. And Joe Looney, we've got questions with Connor Williams. Uh, Tyron is always a, a, you know, a question mark at this point in his career. The Connor McGovern thing, I always go back to one thing with him, and it's the fact that they revealed that they were taking this guy because he's very high up on our board, 
In fact, he was higher on the board than Tristan Neal was. Had the big peck injury, but the thing is, they were uh, he he had made comments of I haven't talked to anyone from the Cowboys, so they had done very little in person work with Connor McGovern. Which not that that always matters. I don't know what the hit rate is on if you know a guy for ten minutes or not. You know, I don't know what that hit rate is. But I was thinking like, okay, if that's a guy that doesn't pan out, that's a guy that they did take a shot on in the third round. They they said this is a the best player on our board. It's a clear pick. It's also a guy we didn't spend any time with. And he admitted that when he was drafted. So, I don't know. Just, uh, I always think about that with him. I really want to see him on the football field. Because I, do, I did like his tape at Penn State and do think he's got potential to be a really good interior offensive lineman in the league. But, you know, left guard, it's up for grabs. I like, I like Connor Williams going into camp and maybe not being 100% sure that he has that starting job. I like a little little, uh, little carrot you know, go chase the carrot. That's what they say, right? It certainly say. has helped him. <laughs> it certainly has helped him that uh, his chances of winning the battle, the fact that there really hasn't been an offseason where there would be a battle. So <laughs> by default, I think you you almost like lean on, why wouldn't they, why would they go away from the guy that's been starting there the last two years, you know? Maybe he's gotten stronger. Maybe he's gotten better. We'll see, at, at, you know, as the season goes on or whatever. But uh, the other thing is like, you just don't know the new coaching staff. Like, I don't know how Joe Philbin feels about Connor McGovern versus Connor Williams. You know, he probably has his own opinion. Of how, I mean, I'm sure he watched both of them coming out of the draft. And so he might feel like w- one is way better than the other at left guard. Who, who knows? I'm just saying that I had a number one on there because it's so important. I mean, you know, obviously that and center that we'll talk about, I mean, those are just so important to the success of an offense that we just got done talking about how it has to be such a huge part of this team. Um, I was looking at some old notes on on Connor Williams, and I thought it was interesting that right after they the Cowboys drafted him in the second round, you know, Jerry Jones said how you know one of the reasons they drafted him is so that they don't have another one of those situations like they had a couple years before when Adrian Claiborne just went to town on on on, on the Cowboys when they were up in it or down in the, well yeah up in Atlanta sorry, and uh, and I, and and that's interesting because it was like okay well if that's why you were drafting him it was to make up for. You know, Chaz Green obviously didn't get the job done. So is Connor Williams? Was he just drafted just to be a tackle? So yeah, I could see it. I could see coaches looking in that way. Does Joe Philbin feel like he's more of a tackle? We don't really know because we haven't seen them out there practicing yet. So by default, I think Connor Williams has to be the starter again, just because there isn't this that much time. And, and basically, all Connor McGovern had was a redshirt year. He didn't get to really practice at all. The only time I even seen him on the field was him running wind sprints and things like that because he basically just had a redshirt year. So. um yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see that. I mean, he's got versatility, too. I mean, he could play center as well, McGovern could. Do you remember in the 2018 season, all the struggles earlier in the year at the offense and how many times the offense would do interviews and talk about, well, our communication's just not great. Our communication's just not great. Number two on your list, Joe Looney uh, versus Tyler Biedish from uh, Wisconsin, their fifth-round draft pick, the center. And, look, there's it's not – all, I'm not putting all that on Travis communication being great and, and not putting any blame on Looney. But, uh, you know, they also obviously had a different offensive line, but, uh, offensive line coach and Paul Alexander for the first half of that year before finally giving the job to Colombo. But, you know, that's something that because 2020 has been such a, uh, you know, hellfire of bad news, you like sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, Travis retired. Uh, that seems like it was, uh, you know, a long time ago. Uh, that's a huge loss, man. All pro guy. Generally healthy, besides the Guillain Beret thing, and now you're turning it over to Joe Looney, who you know and is valuable. And Tyler Beatish, though, I think that's a guy who they would they would seriously consider. I think to kind of what you just said in your last point was like, 
Who knows what the coaches think? But I feel like Tyler Bietish is the type of guy they're going to like. Uh, coming out of Wisconsin, good tape, solid player. Kind of, you know, the, the big question marks would be how is he athletically? But, you know, I'm not being a jerk here, but how is Joe Looney athletically? He's not a immaculate center in the league athletically, you know? Like, so I think that's, a, that's a, another open competition. Yeah, and, and Mike McCarthy, obviously being the new head coach, loved Biadish. I mean, he's the one that wanted them to trade up so badly to get him at the back end of the fourth round, so badly that they traded with the Philadelphia Eagles. So, if again, he's another one that I really feel if there was a normal offseason, rookie minicamp, minicamp, OTAs, like I think that there's a chance that he has a chance to push for that starting spot. But because he's a rookie that didn't have a normal offseason, I don't know how you don't go with Joe Looney there just because of his experience. And on the communication side, like, that was needed a lot more when Dak was coming up, but this is fifth year Dak. Like he's got to he's got to be that guy, and yeah. and that's one of the things a lot of guys praise him about is his ability to you know really diagnose what's going on, understanding what's going on out on the field. And so I think that Dak Prescott in 2020 is a lot more advanced than even 2018 Dak Prescott, and so a lot more has to lean on him, you know, and 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 not having. Frederick going into the season knowing that you know he's not part of this thing maybe that means Zach Martin at right guard takes on more leadership and having to call call more stuff out and things like that so that they don't have the same communication issues but I don't know I look at this offensive line and it's like yeah you might not have a superstar at every position but you have three stars out there and that's pretty good for just about any offensive line so yeah they have two position battles but they should be able to figure it out they have bodies and, and guys that should be capable to, to get by and and at least do the job well enough so that this can be one of the better offenses in the league. This might seem like a loony question, but if you could be a dish, what would it be? Excuse me? A macaroni and cheese, probably maybe, uh, I don't know, a little uh, green bean on the side. Number three, quarterbacks. (laughs) Huh? Me? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Grapefruit? What? It's a dish? You don't... Who gets yeah. a side of grapefruit? I mean, it's like... All the steak, potato, and... I was going to say, steak and potato too. is pretty solid. Cut it in half, too. I'm, I'm not not peeling it. It's just said mac and cheese. Corners. <laughs> it just set itself up. I had to do it. Who do you think the starting three cornerbacks are going to be, John? <laughs> I feel like I'm just repeating myself from these last two, but... Because well, yeah. there was no rookie minicamp, OTAs, and minicamp, and it's a shortened, much more condensed training camp. I I think I got I have to be boring and just lean on the veterans and go with Cheeto, Jordan Lewis, and Anthony Brown. I I would think that within a few weeks into the season, if that group isn't getting it done, then Diggs gets worked in there. And maybe even if they are getting it done, you just see Diggs more because of the fact that he's a bigger body guy that maybe matches up better against bigger receivers. But because we haven't had that normal offseason, I have to lean on the veterans here. You know, they get in the pads. Uh, let's say they're still COVID-friendly. They're having no positive tests, but they're into pads, do you still think we're going to see a less physical than usual training camp? I, I do, yeah. I I just don't – I don't know how you all of a sudden just try and make it really hard-hitting and throwing guys to the wolves if you haven't really had that proper time in the offseason to get these guys ramped up, you know, and then you're not going to have the preseason games like that. Like I just – 
I don't know how you do that. I think you'd rather sacrifice having a couple sloppy games early in the season than to have lose some guys because of injuries during meaningless practices early on. You know, I just yeah. I, I, I've I've been a firm believer. There's a lot of things you criticize about Jason Garrett, but one thing that I fully supported was the way that he treated training camp, and that was, yeah, these guys are professionals. Like they're not going to be tra- they're not going to be training like they that we used to do back in the day when when Garrett was on the team. We're trying to get to week one as healthy as possible, and I I believe that more than ever, especially in a COVID nineteen season. You know, I, I believe that too. Yeah, you know, I guess one thing I would say is I'm going to be on more high alert for the skill position, soft tissue injury, a you know, pulled hammy or whatever. And that's where you got Trayvon Diggs. If that's your cornerback four, you know, needs to be ready to be a starter on day one. Obviously he's going to try to win that job, but I do think we're going to see, you know, let's say why the, the wide receiver uh, death could become a question mark. I, I just think uh, it's a lot like we're seeing with baseball, with pitchers, with basketball, I mean, we're seeing guys talk about having sore groins and things like that because the ramp up wasn't as great as it, you know, normally is. And I think that's, you're kind of asking for a little trouble on the injury front. Uh, I'll say, I'll say this about the corners real quick. Right now, they're, I feel like the perception of this group of corners is better than it would be if there was a normal training camp right now. Because one of the best things you could take away from those training camps in Oxnard is when the receivers would go one-on-one in those drills against the DBs. And yeah. I just don't know that they would be having a ton of good days right now while we're out there shooting video of C.D. Lamb getting getting away with pretty much doing whatever he wants, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. Like, there's not a lot of great matchups for this DB crew, you know? Like, you know, you look forward to some of those Byron Jones, Des Bryant matchups and stuff like that. And, like, I'm not saying these DBs win win some, but they're not going to win a ton going against that, those receivers in one-on-one. Uh, you know, fourth on your list is defensive in-depth. Obviously, we know DeMarcus Lawrence. We talked about defensive end a little bit, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, but, yeah, I thought you put up some good names to keep an eye on. Maybe prove it year for Dorrance Armstrong. You know, Joe Jackson, a guy they drafted, you know, last year, you know, need to who had a good camp. It felt like they liked him going into the year, but, you know, just kind of wasn't ready. Bradley and Nye, you know, a lot of teams had, you know, second, third-round grades on. The Cowboys got him late on day three, so – They've got some names, but there's just not some clear-cut, you know, glimmer of hope, I would say, uh, on the defensive end depth. And even if you add Randy Gregory to that, I I still approach Randy Gregory the same way I would approach Alden Smith. Of, I'm very skeptical of the guy who hasn't played football in four years. So, you know, uh, that's uh, – but I don't want to spend a lot of time on defensive end after we talked about that a minute ago. Number five, you have defensive tackle depth. Now – you uh, well, obviously the big wild card to me is Tristan Hill. Will he even make the team? But with Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe, and we're assuming they're healthy, we uh, you know Neville Gallimore drafted in the third round. Uh, Antoine Woods is back, but I I mean I, I don't know if it's a given that Antoine Woods makes the team. Do you? No, I don't think I don't think it's a given at all. And like you said, the Don Terry Poe is already you know starting this camp off on the pop list and. You know, McCarthy was asked for an update, but he didn't have anything. He said that the trainers feel like like Poe and Tyrone Crawford are pro- progressing well. And they're two veteran guys, so I don't think that they're too worried about them getting camp reps. They want them there week one. Um, but there's definitely injury concern there, you know, with veteran players playing in those spots. And those are two key spots. If you t- if you tell me that those two guys, Poe and, and McCoy, stay healthy and play the entire season, I don't have any concerns really about defensive tackle because Crawford can, can jump in there and play some. 
you know, I think they're very high on Neville Gallimore. And then, you know, if you get anything from Woods or, you know, Tristan Hill, hey, that's great. But no, I mean, I wouldn't rule out really other than those first three, other than Poe, McCoy, and Gallimore. Like, those are the only three that I would guarantee make the roster. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Tristan Hill didn't make the roster. It wouldn't shock me if Antoine Woods didn't make the, make the roster. I, in my 50 man, 53 man projection a couple of weeks ago, I had them both making it and them going with five DTs, but I wouldn't be surprised if they only go with four. One thing I know that Jim Tom Sula likes, and Jim Tom Sula is the Cowboys' uh, defensive line coach, but one thing that he likes is for his interior guys to have a little length to them. And that is one thing I always think about with Antoine Woods. It's really working against him. Really, Tristan Hill, you could probably say the same. I mean, look at Arik Armstead, who they had drafted, you know, from Oregon back in the day. You know, a longer guy at the middle. And then they, you know, drafted DeForest Buckner, even though, you know, it was after, you know, Tom Sula was already out of there. But, like, that's uh, – and then, you know, what they did in, in Washington, even building up that defensive line for for Tom Sula with Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. I mean, these are bigger guys. These are your 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", guys a defensive tackle. So I've, I'm very, really skeptical on how much Tom Sula is going to like Antoine Woods and Tristan Hill, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm reaching kind of far on that, but I, those guys are going to have to dig themselves out of a hole because that is one of the traits that Tom Sula likes is length. Uh, number six, wide receiver depth. Uh, you know, I, 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 it seems like every training camp we play the uh, Noah Brown game and then like he doesn't practice. And then, uh, you know, somehow they find a way to make the team. Um, I, I really don't know what they have at, at wide receiver four that is appealing. I, I Maybe the speed guy in Devin Smith, maybe that could be fun. He's obviously a, a health question too. Cedric Williams hasn't uh, – Cedric Wilson, I'm sorry, hasn't proven he can stay healthy. But he showed you a little bit last year. He's probably got the inside job. Man, I, it is pretty, pretty slim pickings after the top three at wide receiver. Yeah, I would say going into the draft this year before they took CeeDee Lamb, I had Wilson as being the three. So I think he makes it as the four. And then I think the fifth spot comes down to basically that group of Ventel Bryant, Devin Smith, and then John Vea Johnson. And I've given the edge to Ventel Bryant because of what I think he can do special teams-wise. I mean, that was the thing. Like you saw Devin uh, Smith st- start out well, especially in the, at Washington, but because they didn't feel comfortable about him being able to do anything help-wise on special teams, it was hard to get him on the active roster, so they'd rather go with Ventel Bryant. And so because of that, I, I give Bryant a little bit of an edge there, but that fifth receiver, even the fourth, those last two receiver spots, I I really wouldn't be surprised by any of the two that, that take that. And I mean, they really are just depth guys. You would think those guys have to help out on special teams because do you really want – Michael Gallup, Mari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb on special teams. I mean, unless CeeDee Lamb's returning, like you really don't want them doing that stuff. So if I would think the edge goes to whoever helps out the most on special teams. I would, yeah, I'd be okay with CeeDee Lamb returning kicks or punts for like one or two years. And then I'm like, yeah. no, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, offensive line depth you have at seven. We've kind of talked about that. We'll skip that. We talked about linebackers a minute ago too, uh, linebacker depth. Fullback is interesting there. We talked about that on last week's podcast, if you missed it, with Jamie Zolawale uh, opting out of the season. They are going to want to use a fullback, or McCarthy will want to use a fullback, I think. At least that's what his history would show. Now, you know, maybe Kellen so, Moore has a different you know, feeling on the fullback position, but I do think that's something they're going to want to carry. So he was asked about that in the conference call, and he kind of danced around the answer, which – 
has kind of become the thing that we've kind of noticed with McCarthy. You know, I mean, he's he. I mean, he's an established head coach in the NFL, like, and he's not the type of guy that's going to give you a ton of stuff. Uh, his, his answers are usually pretty topical. He's not going to really dig too deep into stuff like that, you know. And he talked about them considering all uh, options. Talked about how they kind of view that fullback is also the same thing as another tight end and doing some of the stuff they could have another tight end do some of those things. I don't know how that factors in that maybe if you don't have a fullback, then you keep an extra tight end. I, I don't know that that's what he was getting at, but it's hard to believe they don't want a fullback when, like I, I mean, we were talking about on that last podcast, they had John Kuhn for a long time there. And then even after him, they had that uh, Mark Ripkowski, I think is how you say his name. Like they've had yeah. tight ends, you know, I mean, they've had fullbacks. So I know there'll be an 11 personnel a lot, and 11 personnel does not include a fullback, but I just find it hard to believe that, like, especially for, like, late in games or goal line situations or third and one or fourth and one, like, that they wouldn't want some type of a fullback out there. So, I don't know. We'll see. But I don't. it didn't sound like it was a huge pressing need on his mind when he was asked about it. Tight ends is number 10 on your list here. Who's the third tight end? Blake Jarwin, Blake Bell, Dalton Schultz. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, they – they uh, picked up some undrafted free agents. I actually like Charlie Talmapel from Portland State, but I don't know if he's going to make the roster. Uh, really, I think my my big uh, thing I want to ask you about on this, did you see the comments from Austin Hooper with Cleveland the other day when he kind of took a shot at Witten? Yeah, it was bizarre just because of the fact that like there's no – there's no career paths that cross there, like no former teammates, anything like like that well, uh, that I know of at least. Are you going to correct me? I'm not 100 <laughs> percent sure that the timelines match up, and this is a little reckless on my part. Well, let's get reckless. Throw it out there. But my immediate X Files theme in my head was Austin Hooper, Stanford, Dalton Schultz, Stanford. Ooh, Stanford connection. Is this coming from Dalton Schultz? Did they discuss this over a game of four? Dalton is pissed that that Witten came back that that one year that he was gonna be like the number two. That's probably what it is. KT, you're a genius. We're connecting dots over here. Now Austin Hooper was drafted in 2016, right? I don't even understand if you're Austin Hooper why you say that. Like, why do you say you could say you could just have said other tight ends like veteran tight ends in the league, but to specifically name Jason Witten, like it doesn't seem like that was a mistake. You know, that didn't seem like it was just like, oh, I just was trying to name somebody that's played the position for a long time. It seemed like for you to say that, like it was on purpose. Okay, so 2016 is when Hooper was drafted. 2018 is when Schultz was drafted. I will now go and look up. The sports reference for Stanford 2016, and we need to find out if Dalton Schultz was active on that team. Because if he was... Everybody, I, hold on. This is about to get wild. Hold I on. Think, <laughs> I think we've got our guy. Ah, crap. Ah, crap. So, like, the that's way we're... Good, re- that's the like way a we're good record- private eye, uh, you know, Ghost Rider stuff going on there, KT. I love that. So, for anybody listening, like, the last probably 10 or so of these we've done, we... <laughs> We do on we do via Zoom. So instead of just you know recording a podcast, not being able to see each other, like we can see each other while we're doing this. And soon as I said that I didn't know if there was any career paths that crossed, I see I see KT leaning back in his chair like he's about to give me. Oh no, I've done the deep dive on this. Like I was like I was hoping to get like an assistant position coach at like some some college that worked at Jason Witten camp back in the day. Which season oh, we were you do, asking about? We have to go to 2015. 
because Hooper <laughs> was in the 2016 draft. So we have to go to yeah, 2015. Yeah, so Dalton, Dalton Schultz was there 2014 to 2017. Hooper had 34 catches in 2015. Schultz had 10 catches. There's our connection. That's the you one. got it. Boom. Boom, Interesting. boom, boom. That's, hey, hey, man, you just give me the evidence, you know? You just show me, you just put a few clues together. There it is. Just kidding. If Dalton hey. uh, didn't hey, say for, that, that's very reckless, and I, I think he's for, a good guy. For all, the, for all anybody out there that hates it when we talk about the COVID-19 and the impact on the season, let me bring it back to that real quick. Um, <laughs> Great. I wonder how many players, because there obviously wasn't a lot of op- opt-outs. I believe it was around 70. Uh, I wonder. No, it how was many 69. Player- it was close to 70. Go ahead. Okay. I didn't know if there was an extra one. You were close. But anyway, okay. Okay, so 69 opt-outs. Um, I wonder how many players wouldn't even think about opting out because of the fact of, like, I don't even want to risk losing my position by not playing this year because it's, like, so cutthroat, and they know, like, if you don't play – you can lose your spot. And clearly, like, I think about that with Witten because that's the way Witten was. Like, when you talk about, like, Hooper saying, like, how he wasn't going to, like, really help other guys and do things like that. Like, Witten knew that, like, you know, I mean, they were drafting tight ends in the second round throughout Witten's career, the Fasanos and Martellus Bennett's guys like that. You know, he was always, he knew that, like, hey, if I take days off, like, someone's coming for my job. I wonder with the whole, you know, opting out with COVID-19, how many guys factored that in, you know? Maybe not the younger guys, but the veterans that, like, have been around a little bit. I, I bet you that those guys thought about that too. Like, hey, I know there's risks here, but there's also a risk that if I take this season off, I come back next year, and now I'm the backup because this other guy performed well and he took my job. Yeah. I uh, I, I think that played a part of a lot of people, but I think the number one overarching theme was how, how many guys really love their job. Sure. And like are jonesing to go practice and play football. I think that was the number one thing. I love doing this so much that I'm in. And I'm not saying that the people who opted out aren't like that. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that was like the number one thing that would like keep them from going yes or no on that. It's just like there are guys who are just like, hey, this is a paycheck. Quite frankly, the classroom and the practice is a beating. Uh, but we get through it. You know, these guys talk about training camp not being fun after a little bit. Well, you know what? A year off from that, probably good for my mental state as well. To be honest, I'll do the health thing, you know. I'm not saying that's all it is. I'm just saying I think that does play into the part of, you know, the the brains of some of these guys. That could have been a, a, a naturally insensitive point I was making, but I don't no, know. and and a lot of the opt outs too. I I also believe that there's reason for them. Whether it's absolutely people and their family that they're worried about uh, pre existing health conditions that they're dealing with themselves as players. I mean, yeah, no, I I'm just saying I wonder how many guys were kind of on the fence and they were like the deciding factor was like. Man, if I, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're a superstar player, this doesn't apply to you. But somebody that's like a solid starter who's like, man, I take a week, I take a season off, and then, you know, my the guy that was playing behind me kills it. Like, I might not get my starting job back, and I might never get it back. You know, I think one of the reasons why I was thinking about this is because ESPN ran a pretty good special the other day. I was watching, and, and I know it's old, but it was about Drew Bledsoe and just how I, I mean. I really came away feeling bad for the guy. It was just like how he lost the job to Tom Brady thinking he was going to get it back. And then he comes to the Cowboys and he and he loses the job to Romo. And it was just like he just couldn't get that, that starting job back when he clearly was like, I mean, he's in, I don't know if they call it the Ring of Honor, but whatever their Hall of Fame is for the Patriots, he's in there. I mean, he was a, you know, he was an elite quarterback and then he loses his starting job and he just can't get it back like multiple times. It's just kind of wild to think about that for a guy that was as talented as Drew Bledsoe was. So it makes me think like other guys, probably look at that stuff and go, man, you know, 
they talk about this league being not for long. Well, me having a starting spot in this league is not for long. So I don't know if I can risk sitting out this season and still have my starting job next year or even my roster spot. And uh, lastly, before we wrap up this episode, John, you shockingly said that you'd never seen an episode of Seinfeld. And given <laughs> that that's uh, Kent's background on the yeah. Zoom call that our listeners can't see, uh, you've never seen one full episode of Seinfeld? No, no. I mean, I'll, I've seen several scenes and I've definitely been, you know, watching TV and I stopped on it for a few minutes, but nothing about it is it interests me at all. What's this guy's deal? <laughs> What's funny about just, about John is we were talking about this off the air is that he said, I can, could not care less about watching Seinfeld or watching Jerry Seinfeld do stand up, but I love Jerry Seinfeld and I watch a ton of Jerry Seinfeld content. Not his stand-up or his television show. I'm like, (laughs) what else is there? He's like, oh, you know, when he's on CNN or something. I just love that. I'm like, so what? So, so okay. So I don't, I don't. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm certainly not on any major success level or anything like that. So I'm definitely not trying to compare myself to Jerry Seinfeld. But his story, I love because of it's not even like I don't think he's really super funny in stand-up, but I think he's ridiculously intelligent. I think comedians and cars getting coffee is fascinating. I think he's a great interviewer and his climb in his job and where he's progressed from the way he started out grinding at these clubs where like nobody was really there. He's bombing, but he, he keeps with it because this is what he's going to do. Like he just loves it. And he, and it's like becomes his whole life. He's a guy that didn't get married until I want to say it was like his late forties. Like he was obsessed with comedy in a way that I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed with sports. And so He's super relatable to me from that side, but I do not think he's super funny. Like I was telling you guys before on the show that I've done hypotheticals joking around with friends where it was like, if you, if you told me you give me $10,000 at the end of a comedy show and I had to watch the entire stand-up act, uh, and if I can watch the entire act and I don't laugh once, I get $10,000. I would pro- Jerry Seinfeld would be one of the acts I pick because I just don't think he's that funny. Now, I will say his jokes are intelligent, and when they are thought out, like when you think about what he's saying, you're like, ah, that is interesting, you know, like, you know, what, talking about airplanes or something like that. But it's not like, oh, my God, this is so hilarious, like Richard Pryor or Dave Chappelle or even like, you know, Bill Burr, some of these guys that I that I like a lot more. So when I watch clips and things like that that I've seen of Seinfeld, like I don't I just don't really relate with like the New York City living in that apartment, that stuff like that. Like, it's fine. I understand why the show's successful, but it's like it's not super intriguing to me. Like, I just don't think it's that. I don't know. I just don't think it's that great. But Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee is one of my favorite shows because he gets great guests. And because he asks good questions and they respect him for what he's done, they give great answers. And so anytime he does an interview, I I always watch because he always has like really thoughtful, like interesting things to say. And I have mad respect for his success because that guy didn't get handed anything. He grinded from the bottom and went all the way to the top. And he's worth more than pretty much everybody yeah, that like you're thinking billions. of right now. It's crazy how much money that he's worth. Like, like surpasses all these big time actors that everybody thinks is like super wealthy. And so, like he's on another level. Like just super intelligent. And I just don't think he's really that funny. There's so much to be said about loving the job. Do you love your job? Absolutely. Uh, and like that's why he will go be at Windstar. You know, I, and I will tell you this: I'm not a Seinfeld fan. Uh, the show I think is fine. I think the show's good. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld fan, I think I thought he was one of the worst parts of that show, but I do think the show was was overall uh, very very good. Well, okay, very, if I, well, very, what is what the worst part of the show? I don't, I don't, I'm not arguing that at all. Yeah, 
He's not if supposed I, to be. If you guys though. were to recommend like an episode, what episode should I watch? Like which one? Because I'll tell you this. I was late on The Office, and then I had a friend tell me, not like super late, like five years later, but like a year or two later, I didn't watch like the first two seasons. And a friend of mine told me, hey, you need to watch the episode in, in season one where they play basketball. And when they went down the warehouse and play basketball, I was like, how have you not been watching this show? This is amazing. And so that's why I'm wondering, is there a Seinfeld episode that like is just like great? Oh, yeah. Like there's a, there's an arc in, I think, season four okay. uh, called The Pitch. And basically, okay. Jerry and George, his best friend, who is actually Larry David, who, who Jason Alexander yeah, is basically another, playing Larry another David. Another genius, yeah. And, and so basically, they do Seinfeld of them coming up with the idea of Seinfeld and pitching it to NBC – and trying to go through getting the show created, but they do it on Seinfeld. <laughs> and so there's like an arc, and I guess it's season four called The Pitch, The Pilot, uh, The Dress Rehearsal, or whatever. There's several episodes in a row there of Jerry trying to get a pilot made at NBC. And that's that's kind of like the most meta, yeah. you know, show within a show kind of like, this is way different than anything you would normally see at the time kind of thing. So. Yeah, that's probably my favorite arc in uh, that, the series. That's around the time, too, when the show had found its voice after season one. I season, yeah, you can probably skip the first two seasons of Seinfeld, honestly, um, and you're good. But, gosh, season season three through nine, I mean, almost every episode is, like, classic, you know. You think the, it's better than The Office? No. No, I mean, The Office is... Is um is is higher on my list. I actually think Curb Curb Your Enthusiasm is better than than Seinfeld. I mean, it's I the agree. same. I think it's the same material, just done and better. You know, <laughs> it's the same yeah. observational humor. It's the same people doing it. It's just a better way of interpreting it, and it's it's going to hold up better over time. I think too. It's more create more <laughs> improvisational and more real, and yeah. I think for John, the the sports tie-in hero, you need to watch the Keith Hernandez episode. So okay, I've seen clips from that one. Is it, now, and I've seen clips of the one where I think George like is hiding underneath Steinbrenner's desk and stuff. Yeah, like that. The, there's the sports an sports ones I've where definitely George seen works for, parts of those. He works yeah. for the Yankees for a, a right, while. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's good. There's another one where you know what my you know what my problem is too is not just with TV shows but with movies. I'm super character driven, and the the movies and TV shows I'm passionate about. I almost always love like a main character like Michael Scott to me is just genius you know like I just love it and I never there was never a character really on Seinfeld that I really just was like oh this this person's like hilarious or I just really relate to this person yeah. not that I really yeah. relate to Michael Scott but you know what I'm saying like I just think he's yeah. hilarious the thing yeah. about Seinfeld is is everybody is just a miserable <laughs> person on the show and they're all just yeah. lamenting the entire their existence to each other the entire time. They're always messing up. It's just like watching people be miserable, even though they're rich and stuff, you know? Another one, um, John, the face painter from season six is where Elaine is dating this guy, and he's one of those guys that always has to go to a sports game and paint his face. And so... Oh, okay. Hey, I've seen yeah. clips from that, too. See, people will send me clips, and that's the, a lot of the stuff I've seen. It just... I've never sat there and, like, just watched, like, an entire show of it. Like, it's worth you know. it. It's worth... I, you I need, suggest you, you do it. I, I think you... If, if you're a big fan of The Office and you're a big fan of shows like that, I think you need to do Hulu and just do it. Just do season one through nine and just, just so you can 
because there's so many jokes and frame of reference types of things in Seinfeld over the years that I think you just need to see once. And it'll take you half a week probably, you know, to do. The first couple seasons, I think there's four or five episodes in the first season, and then there's um, uh, 12 in the second season. So there's, you know, the first two go by really fast. But I think, you know, people like you, John, who are already into that kind of stuff, I think everyone kind of needs to needs to do it just because it's one of those things that everyone needs to, you know, it's like The Sopranos or yeah, Breaking Bad or, or Game of Thrones. I think everybody needs to needs to do it at least once. You might hate it, but you got to know about it. So right, right after The Office, my second favorite show is probably The Chappelle Show. And mm. so one of the co-creators on there, Neil Brennan, like I was telling you guys before the show, he's one of the guests on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And I, I love that episode. And they're sitting there talking about, you know, the, each other's shows. And it was just funny to see the two of those guys go like, Neil Brennan's like, I think I've only seen like one or two episodes of Seinfeld. And Jerry's like, no, it's fine. I didn't think that you would watch it. Like, I, I know it's not for everybody or whatever. But Seinfeld comes right back and it's like, I think I've only seen like one or two sketches from the Chappelle show or whatever. And I was just like blown away by that. Like it, it, it blew me away that like somebody like Jerry Seinfeld wouldn't just watch all of those Dave Chappelle episodes, but I mean the Chappelle Show episodes because I just think that there's just crazy genius. In Jerry, that as well, Jerry, f- fully and and I'll admit this, he fully truly thinks he's the funniest person to ever. He does, and it to blow, ever yeah, be it, to ever be born to ever have a TV yeah. show. So there's nothing. Why would he want to see something f- less funny than what I do? You know, basically, right. like he's not wasting his but, time. But again, <laughs> again, I'm not telling. I'm not trying to tell him. Oh hey, I can't believe you haven't watched all the funny jokes in Golden Girls, like the Chappelle Show. Mm-hmm. Like that's elite of the elite comedy. Like that's his. It, I mean, that's as great as comedy gets. Yeah, and nothing compares to the Chappelle Show to me. Like in terms of doing skits like that, that I mean that that's. I don't understand how somebody that does comedy could not think that that stuff is genius. I, yeah, no, there's a, there's a quote on Curb where he's like, uh, you know, Jeff Garland's asking Larry, he's like, how much would it would I have to pay you to go to the theater? and see, um, I think it was like Magnolia. He's like, uh, 10 grand. <laughs> He's like, really? 10 grand? He's like, to actually go to the theater, sit down, watch the movie. Yeah, that's 10,000. <laughs> it's like these guys, they don't, you know, in order to gain their interest, you're going to have to do a lot more than be funny or something like that. It has to be like life-changing or something like that. Okay, but again, I'm saying like- I guarantee you Chappelle Jerry has show. seen Chappelle show. He's like he has Chappelle not seen it all. Iconic. He's seen like a couple clips. Somebody, some intern sent him before he had Dave Chappelle on Comedians in Cars or whatever. Has he had Chappelle on Comedians in Cars? Yeah, no, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's you good. Know, it's really good. I, I, I haven't seen that one in a while. I forgot about that. I will watch every episode if he if he kept, it doesn't sound like he's going to keep doing the show. But no, he's it, done. It's like he's done doing it. He's uh, it, he ended Comedians in Cars this uh, last year. He said. It's super rewatchable too. Like I just, I love every every yeah. single person he has on there. Is just like, and I don't, I don't even care for like a lot of the guests. It just the interviews are just, I don't know, like they're just super interesting. He had a great Eddie Murphy one uh, this past season. Yeah. That, was, that was good. That was really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I love that. Uh, love that stuff. Love comedians talking com- with comedians. It's a, it's a good bit. It's a good bit. But yeah, maybe we'll make this a weekly segment. John's holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John's culture holes. Inside John's culture holes. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I like what I like. I know what I like. I'm very passionate about what I like, and that's the only stuff that I watch. What, what, so, The Office. So, what do you like in terms of you're going to go, you know, you just got home, you're going to sit down and, and crank out two hours of TV. What's the go-to? Is that it, probably? 
You know what's funny is lately I, I would say more of it is I watch I watch YouTube videos. I think I I think YouTube it's it's fascinating that YouTube's free because there's just so much good information yeah. out there. Like you can just watch like you, I don't know, you could watch like anything from like I'm big on like music documentaries too. So like I'll watch anything like old rock and roll, like I don't care who it is. Mm-hmm. I don't care Crosby Stills Nash, Leonard Skinner, you know, anybody, Neil Young, like Bob Dylan. I might not even like their music, I but know, I'll watch I didn't know any you were stuff. a uh, classic rock head. Yeah, I know you're a rocker, dude. That's cool. No, no, I mean, like, I just, I'm fascinated by that whole, like, genre of, like, mm. how those how those bands became successful. Like, I'm talking, like, you know, 60s and 70s. And then you also got the party and that mixes in there. And then people butting heads and the, the bands breaking up. Like, I love the drama and all that, too. So I'd be much more likely to watch that right now just because... I don't know. They're, like I'm running out of things that I could interest me on Netflix just because of the quarantine. There just isn't a lot out there that I'm really like, you know. Yep. I can only watch the town so many times, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> look. Uh, let's let's have the rest of our conversation about all documentaries to recommend to John off the air. Um, <laughs> hey, thanks to everyone for listening. Make sure you uh, go to the Athletic. Use the uh, About Them Cowboys uh, at theathletic.com/slash About Them Cowboys. Get that 40% off uh, discount if you're subscribing for the first time. And keep following everyone. The Stars will be taking on the Flames in round one of the playoffs, of the NHL playoffs. The Mavericks still in the bubble. Tim Cato, Saad Youssef doing all the good stuff there. Um, Obviously, Sean Shapiro with the Stars. Um, And then Levi covering the Rangers. By the way, the Rangers, who would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. So all the sports are happening, including football, where we have John Mashoda and Bob Sturm cranking out content for you during the week, covering Cowboys training camp. And uh, we'll have be back for another episode of About Them Cowboys next week. For our producer, the mustache man, Kent Garrison. Mm. He doesn't go by that. It's He just has a mustache right now. <laughs> yes, yeah. By the way, uh, when, I, when I cut the mustache, couldn't help but think of our schedule bet, in which John chose to do the, the Hot Ones last dab hot sauce on the air instead of cut his beard into a mustache and change his profile picture on Twitter for one week. I'm very, that just surprised me how easy this was to, to just cut and it feels good. And, you know, got compliments on the show, you know, yeah, Yeah. much better than the pain you're going to have to endure uh, through that. Oh, you think it'll be more funny. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be pretty entertained for a week with you. Uh, every time you tweet, you have that that stash, and it's just no context is given. One day you're just change your your picture to creepy stash, John, <laughs> and we'll we'll Photoshop like a creepy one on there too. We wouldn't make you grow right. it, but we would just Photoshop like a one directly off a serial killer onto your face. <laughs> Every Cowboys breaking news tweet that you would have would be yeah. covered up by your mustache. And but, some oh, big, luckily some big, huge story would break during that time, too. And he would break it on ESPN, and his little uh, mugshot would be up there with the, the stash, too. See, I would have liked that, but you're right. It will be fun to, to hear you do some uh, hot sauce shots on the air eventually here. What are we – hey, before we get out of here, KT, what are we going to do if, if the season is shortened – um, suspended. Oh, do we take the results at that point and call it call it or what? This bet because so we didn't put any uh, kind of precedent uh, ahead of the, yeah. that. I don't think. I mean, we went based on 
as the season goes. So we would do – are you telling me like if we don't start it? Because we were going off basic results. We went game by game, and you would get a point based on each game, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we went with. So, yeah, if the season get – yeah, maybe we'll just have a uh, – maybe we'll all go have a race. Let's do it like where <laughs> – I don't know. Where whoever – was closest that game gets the point between me, you, John, and Sod. So, you know, if I predicted uh, the Cowboys won by whatever, um, however many points it was, um, then I get the point, you know, if I was closest. And then by, by the end of the season, whoever has the most points does it. So if we both predicted a win, KT, we'd both get a point. If that makes sense. Yeah, and we yep. will both predict wins. And of John course, have to always. Do the hot ones. All right. That's how it's going to work. Good stuff. Uh, that's Kate Garrison. For Father John Mashoda, I'm Kevin KT Turner. We'll see you next week on another edition of About Them Cowboys. <laughs>